the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place than breaking news. Free agency grades and powerful stories, then The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it, tell them what teams you like, tell them what sports you like to follow. You'll get exclusive ad-free content at your fingertips. Start at theathletic.com slash spot track in your browser. Theathletic.com slash spot track. Take 40% off that first year. You'll be good to go from there. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. Happy NFL League Year 2022. My name is Mike Donetti. The official is official, even though 75% of the unofficial was kind of official two days ago. So um, this isn't a monstrous three-hour recap. I know some some of maybe even many of the sports networks are going to be doing that. Over the next couple of days in podcast form, in television form, in radio form, and I'll be here for all of it because there's been a lot of uh, fun movement, trades, extensions, free agent signings. I'm just going to pick out a few that I like, I like the most. That's all I'm going to do here. So it's an NFL tiny recap to start here. Five, I believe five things that... uh piqued my interest the most. A couple of Buffalo Bills moves. Maybe some Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, I'll talk a little Rodgers, but uh, I've done some more work on that elsewhere. And then about 30 minutes in, I flipped the switch to Major League Baseball. Because for those of you who don't know, baseball's free agency is back in full swing and plentiful. $2.5 billion worth of contracts signed in Major League Baseball this offseason so far. It's by far the most in the past like eight years. So they're spending. It's just not like they used to, but they're spending. And by the way, the small market teams, they're not spending. So that's for plenty of other conversations. But back into the show, I pull out four or five things from baseball's free agency that either confuse me or I'm absolutely in love with. And none of them have to do with the Yankees and the Mets. So for those of you that think I swing that way too much, not included in this conversation today. So it's about 30 minutes of football at the top here about 15 minutes of baseball off the back end. And we'll be back, obviously, in a couple of days, probably every two days from here out until things really slow down on both of these sports fronts. And then when basketball hits the postseason, we'll be ramping up that side of it as well. So you're going to be hearing a lot of us, uh, whether you like it or not. And we appreciate your time in doing so. Let's talk some NFL recap. Aaron Rodgers. Finally, the contract details are here. I am not going to go through them on this podcast. (laughs) For those of you who follow on Twitter, I pushed out a video breakdown of this contract, which I'm going to hold tight to. I know other details have come out and other opinions have come out about this contract. All fine. This is a strong contract. It's a player contract. It's 150 million guaranteed, most likely 101 guaranteed. Now there's an out there's an out next year. If the Packers or and or Aaron Rodgers want to take that, that route one year, 42 million and then a trade in early March before that big-time option bonus in 2023 vests. So just to keep up, I, I just want that out there. I want that known that, yes, he's locked in. Yes, it looks like a five-year contract, and for some degree it is. But check out the video breakdown on YouTube and follow the Spot Trick Podcast on YouTube when you get a chance. We're going to continue to pump out these contract breakdown videos as much as possible here so that I don't spend too much time on this feed going number by number. I'll do that a little bit here because the signings are kind of fresh and some of the breakdowns and some of the details are worth talking about. But in terms of Aaron Rodgers, I've done that and done with that with the video breakdown. It's as good as you want it to be. 
and there is that one year out. That's all I'll say about that deal. But good to have him back in Green Bay for one more season. And boy, oh boy, if you follow the Packers at all, you've had a wild 48 to 72 hours here in terms of restructures, a couple of releases, but all the ones we figured would happen outside of Mason Crosby and, uh, and even a massive pay cut by Randall Cobb. Five and 5.3 million just chopped off his salary this year. And that's the move that got them under in time for uh, 4 p.m. Eastern today. So that's obviously the notable offseason move in terms of Aaron Rodgers and his big contract. The trades are coming, and they're coming. This is a good sign for the NFL that some of these superstars are really willing to move via the trade because we talk about this with baseball and with the NBA, obviously. It's what drives. It's what drives the conversation for 12 months. Not that the NFL needed more of that, but there's value in it. There's value in taking on somebody else's baggage in terms of a contract that's had a signing bonus paid out and the dead cap stays away. We're going to see much more of this, I believe, in terms of Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, possibly Matt Ryan, and a few defensive players as well, I hear. So the still to come is plentiful, not just the available free agents, Tyron Matthew, Allen Robinson, and uh, you know a dozen or so others. But notable players who I think could be on the move via trade, which is exciting for all sports fans. It's one of the most exciting things we can have in terms of a transaction. All right. The Jaguars. $260 million total value contracts. I don't care about that. If you know me by now, you know that I'm not even responding to those kind of numbers right now because, A, that money has not been spent, as we often see on the Twitter sphere. That has been allocated. It is very unlikely that 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 number will even be approached in terms of contracts paid out by the Jaguars. But seven big free agent signings across the board, you know, an offensive lineman, two wide receivers, a tight end, a defensive player, a safety, just it's what you want. They got an edge rusher. They are patching holes as quickly as possible with the cap and cash that they've been afforded from Shad Khan under this Doug Peterson system. Peterson knows what he wants out of a team and he has success in his back pocket. He knows what has worked not too long ago. So there's a plan. They are taking, you know, taking shots, firing bullets at this free agent market because there is a plentiful amount of, of players and it's a weird draft. So go do it. And then they know they have that number one pick there either as leverage to ramp up for 2023's picks or to get, you know, one big edge rusher or our left tackle, which is boy, what I, th- I hope they do to counterpart Cam Robinson on his second franchise tag. So I-, I like the approach because I trust it this time, because I trust that Doug Peterson actually knows exactly what he's looking for. Now, does he have the right players out of these seven guys? Who knows? Obviously, I'm going to pull out Christian Kirk's contract because it, <laughs> it almost bro- damn near broke Twitter with you know all sorts of different reports of the total value. And uh, I just had to walk away and say, until I see the actual number I care about, this isn't going to mean much to me. It's a great deal. Even if we just talk about the guarantees, it's a great deal for Christian Kirk, who has not eclipsed a thousand yards, who has been stuck behind, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green to some degree last year. He's been the third or fourth option. And when, because of injuries last year, when he got this chance to shine a little bit, he did take that step forward. 
And to me, if you watch that on tape, and that's probably what Jacksonville has been doing quite a bit over this past offseason, is trying to find that guy that's ready to go. I think Michael Gallup was on the cusp before his injury, and it was a smart move for him to go back to Dallas, though I cannot stand that contract for Michael Gallup. This seems like a team that identified Christian Kirk as. He may not be a true number one wide receiver, but he's better than anything we have right now. And we got to do a small overpay and give him a more traditional five-year contract, which you know I despise. I don't know why the player did this. Why not just take the three years or the two years and, and put some fluff into void years? Jacksonville can certainly afford that from a cap perspective. Or just say, look, if I'm joining Jacksonville, I'm getting this thing three years, and you have to deal with high cap hits because you can afford it. I feel like the player had the leverage there, but that's neither here nor there. He gets $37 million, and it's going to be 39 with actual salaries built into it, but 37 guaranteed. This is great. You know, if we, if we call it 39, that's a damn near 20 million per year guarantee over the next two seasons for Christian Kirk. That's going from Z to A in terms of where he was on his rookie contract. It's a huge get. More than Gallaudet did last year as the preeminent wide receiver free agent. It's more than many of the offseason extensions were at the wide receiver position. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Adams, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, they're going to blow that number out of the water. So eventually this thing is going to be second, second, maybe even third tier wide receiver pay even come next offseason. But at, as it stands right now, you can laugh at the total value and you kind of, you probably should, especially with incentives to make it even higher, which is what got, had people freaking out in the first place. But that two-year guarantee for this player specifically is great. I'm not sure many wide receivers in the league. Many, you know, are there 10 wide receivers in the league who hit free agency and get that two-year guarantee? I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, it's a heck of a player get here coming from where he came from and where he's obviously being expected to go on this Jacksonville roster. So that contract sticks out like a sore thumb. But for me, it's not the overall value. It's not that Jacksonville overpaid. All those things might be true, but the actual guts of this deal are powerful. Now, what happens after the two-year guarantee, you know, if Christian Kirk is playing his, his mind off and he's got to sit around for two more years before an extension comes and deal with the value? Well, that's Jacksonville's win at that point, but that's a long way coming. You've got to build a chemistry with Trevor Lawrence, you've, and you've got to do some winning on the field before any kind of extensions are being handed out. I can't even remember the last notable extension on the offensive side of the ball, not, you know, not at the quarterback position because Blake Bortles was somewhat notable. But it just doesn't happen. These weapons are in and out the door. So if you can stick, I guess things are going right in Jacksonville finally. J.C. Jackson. We told you he was going to be a damn near $20 million cornerback on this market. He didn't get there in terms of his overall average salary because he signed a traditional five-year contract with lots of fluff. Um, it's, it's two for 40. And because of the dead cap situation, because he got a $25 million signing bonus, it's pretty practically going to be three for 54. So that's a phenomenal situation for him. But the two for 40 is really what we're talking about. And obviously that's what he and his agent were looking for out of the gate was that $20 million number where it mattered most. Again, the problem is going to be, you know, when he's making 14 million in 2025 at age 30, possibly, and the salary cap is 280, 290 at that point. And he's looking around at cornerbacks making 30, 35 million a year. Obviously, that's going to be a problem. 
but he'll deal with that. He got his money. This is an undrafted free agent who made $10,000 to join the league with the Patriots and try to make the roster. So he is coming from the bottom all the way to the top. These kind of things generally don't happen. Generally, when you're an undrafted free agent and you show you can play in this league, your, your financials are still compressed because of where you started. That's just a, an ugly truth with this kind of thing. And it's all sports. It's not just the NFL. And if you weren't a first-round pick, you won't be financially treated like a first-round pick in most cases. Well, that's not what we have here. And maybe that impacts his ability to guarantee some structure and to get a better player deal here. But financially speaking, you know, three for 54 from where he came from is really good work by Drew Rosenhaus and obviously great work by the player himself on the field. So, and by the way, it's the right team. <laughs> I told you the Chargers were going to load up. They were the best team with the most cap space. They were the best team with the best situation because of the quarterback, because they had some weapons. And the second they had re-signed Mike Williams to that contract, which I talked about a little bit a couple shows ago, to me, that was the foot down in the ground that it was go time. And the next 72 hours you saw, they had their guys picked out. They, went, they did slight overpays on everybody. I would even call the Khalil Mack trade a bit of an overpay in terms of what they gave back because of the contract they're taking on. But they had people identified. And I think if that coaching staff can get it right this year, they're looking real sharp here, real sharp. And they're not done. They're going to nickel and dime, find a, find a tight end. There's some more work to be done on that, on that defensive side of the ball. But, you know, notable acquisitions. The Chargers as a whole, as I expected, are probably the team to watch right now. And, you know, that's saying something with what I'm about to talk about next, which is Vaughn Miller, six years, $120 million with the Buffalo Bills. The most important part to me there is the Buffalo Bills because this was not a player I had identified to the Bills. I was in the Chandler Jones camp. I still thought uh, Daniel Hunter from Minnesota was going to be an option who's trying to be traded at, at the, as we speak. I also thought if Frank Clark fell off that Chiefs roster, that, that logically it was going to be he joins Buffalo and has a revenge situation. I did not see in a million years Brandon Bean going six years, 120 for this player at that age, 33 years old. Um, so let me, exp I have not, obviously I don't have the breakdown. This thing just happened about an hour and a half ago, but I think I have enough to piece together some details, at least to have a, an educated argument about it. First of all, it's obviously not six for 120. And I had to talk, you know, some people in my household off that cliff immediately because it sounds like the world is dying when, <laughs> when you go 120 million for a 33 year old. Um, and then some, you know, some of the numbers started to come out and Josina Anderson had the actual guaranteed full guarantee which is just around that 52 53 mark over a three-year span and then i believe adam schefter came back with the guarantee at signing which is 45 million which is outstanding which is i mean that's a big boy number for a 33 year old 40 45 million fully guaranteed at signing the reason it's six years in my estimated opinion having done some work on the bill's contracts in the past here is Brandon Bean with these bigger contracts has gone signing bonus year one, option bonus year two. So if, if we just assume that route exists here, is it a $20 million signing bonus this year? Is it a $20 million option bonus next year? The reason it's a six-year contract is so that both of those bonuses can be prorated over five years. Now, you can say you could use void years for that. I would agree with that. But there's some downside to void years, as we talked about in the past. This is just... We're going to make it six. We're going to give you three that, that are impactfully financially guaranteed to you. And because of that second bonus, which I believe exists, I'm not confirming that. I'm just assuming that. 
that probably means the fourth the fourth salary, you know, the fourth year here, 2025, is stable because of the de- what the dead cap situ- situation will be with the, with the double bonus. I hope I'm wrong because I don't believe that a signing option structure for a player this age is the right move. But I'm just going off the past history of Brandon Bean's contracts. Most of the, of, of the big contracts he's brought in or kept on his roster have gone this route. And that's why you've seen his deals be a little bit longer than traditionally. So I'm assuming that's what we're dealing with here. Probably low base salaries. Um, you know, Maybe it's a smaller signing bonus this year to keep the cap low. They're not in great cap shape after a couple of signings. But I'm expecting next year is going to be big time bucks, if I had to guess. Big time bucks in terms of a bonus and then a five-year proration through 2028. So that's my assessment of this. It's huge for Vaughn Miller that a contender was willing to give him this kind of money because generally those two things don't have to happen. But Buffalo is kind of a new contender. I think they missed on Chandler Jones and this was going to be plan B, maybe even plan C. Obviously, I'm not sitting inside that room right now. But at that point in time, not that there's a panic mode. I don't think the Bills are in any position to panic because the draft still exists. And like I said, Daniel Hunter is still acquirable in my opinion. But they wanted, this was, this was one of the guys. This was on the short list. And they probably had to be a little bit more uh, flexible, financially speaking, to get him in the door and to get him to move from LA to, to Buffalo. Let's not leave that part of the equation out of it here. So again, the structure will tell us more. My assumption is this is smaller signing bonus, big option bonus in second year, uh, or simply just a big roster bonus in the second year that gets restructured immediately in 2023. Same concept, of course. But he's a, he's a Buffalo Bill, and that's a big deal. And I fully expect that opening, you know, that Thursday night opening game to be Bills at Rams because the story has now written itself. So monster contract. We'll do a little bit more work on this once the actual details come out. All right, last one to reserve our quick little NFL uh, recap. Day one, is this officially day one? I I don't know how to call this anymore. Monday was so damn busy. I can't even call this day one. Day two and a half in NFL free agency. I'm going to focus on the Cardinals a little bit here because I like what I'm seeing. And to me, the Kyler Murray situation that I try to stay away from because I don't try to deal with the social media drama as much as possible. It appears to have had some ramifications, if I had to guess. Like, there was a maybe a week or so there where the sky was falling in, in that franchise, and they kind of gut check reactioned, extended the GM, extended the coach is kind of a way to say, look, we're good here publicly, right? Optics. We, we've got to do something to, to change the optics immediately because Kyler Murray banishing us from Instagram and Twitter has now made everybody around us unsettled. And obviously that's a terrible look for a team heading into free agency, trying to retain players, trying to add players. And, you know, not hypothetically speaking, not that far away from being a legit contender in in the NFC. I actually think what they did was brilliant. And I'm not a Kyle, you know, I'm not a Cliff Kingsbury guy. I don't think what he's shown on the field is the best use of the talent that's been available to him. But he can figure it out. I give this organization a lot of credit because 
I was one of those people, and I, like I said, I tried to stay away from all the, the garbage that was starting to push away to the point of where I'm thinking, well, what happens if Kyler Murray holds out? And then I saw the Colt McCoy signing, and I, and I realized, hey, that's, that might be important here. And then I started to see all the other contracts happen. And it wasn't, we're bringing in a brand new wide receiver to replace Christian Kirk. It wasn't, it wasn't replacement. It was bringing back the guys that we, that we brought in here, either drafted or acquired. We're going to settle down. We're going to go more long-term with this plan. And that's it. We're comfortable. We're happy. Which either makes me think that they have completely resolved the Murray situation and a contract is coming for him. Fine. I'm a, I'm a Murray fan here. You know, mathematically, he's 43 million. I don't think it's, that's deserving based on the eye test and based on the lack of important winning and clutch winning. But I'd be fine if that's the plan here, that we're going we're gonna to shut the optics off and settle ourselves down and settle the public demand down a little bit by extending the coach and extending the GM. And that worked. We did, we did stop talking about Kyler Murray immediately because it, it was, oh, well, that happened. Now this is going to happen. And now they've backed that up with a three-year extension for James Conner, of which two, mil- two years, $13.5 million, is fully guaranteed. That's I mean, that's monstrous for a running back. If you look at these other running back contracts, Chase Edmonds, his counterpart there, got one for six, essentially. You know, Raheem Mostert just got one for three. He's coming off an injury, obviously. You know, the Melvin Gordons, the Leonard Fournettes, they're still going to get six to eight million per year, in my opinion. But what they did with James Conner, also coming off his second injury, you know, one with Pittsburgh, one with Arizona now, not to mention an issue in college. That's a huge vote of confidence. That's a huge, we believe that that's the guy that can take it to the next level in terms of our running game and our passing game. And then similarly with Zach Ertz, who I thought was so far gone, it wasn't even, you know, let's not even make this guy an offer, you're out the door. Not the case at all. In fact, the Ertz contract is strong. I believe that it's a vote of confidence for that organization because not only did they bring back Zach Ertz, they brought back Max Williams on a two-year contract as well. So. Both tight ends return. Ertz gets three for 31 and change, 17 and a half guaranteed. You know, 31-year-old tight end, that didn't have to happen. It just didn't have to happen. You didn't have to go north of 10 million for that player. They did. And again, this is not, he hits the open market and three or four teams offered this. This was, we're keeping our own guy. We're going to overpay a little bit to keep this guy. We're going to overpay James Conner a little bit to keep this guy. Some, some form of restructure obviously came with, De- with DeAndre Hopkins. That had to happen. But they're, they're a wide receiver away, which I believe they'll draft. They've done de- halfway decent with that in the past. And they've got some defensive holes to fill, especially in the secondary. But I, this team likes who they are, is the, what I'm taking away from this. And the Murray stuff damaged the reputation a little bit. Not to mention Murray's throw in the end zone, you know, in the play. Murray's play in the playoff game as a whole kind of took this, this franchise back a little bit. It had huge momentum through 2021. Obviously, the best team in the league for a while there, and Murray was at the top of that list. And complete 180 to finish 2021. So they, had a, they left us with a bad taste. And to me, that meant, all right, if we want to keep this train together, and they do, obviously, we're going to have to push a little bit financially. And it's not to bring in um, the monster edge rusher. In fact, they let Chandler Jones walk here. So I, I like what I'm seeing is the long story short. I understand that this is not 
a franchise that has earned the right for hometown discounts. But to me, this is the Buffalo Bills two years ago. And they've started to, to identify players that are part of the core, even the older ones. And those players have come back. And at this time next year, this could be an NFC championship team if they do five, six more things right this month and then in the draft, of course. And Kyler Murray takes that next step. But that's where Josh Allen was with the Bills. There was a ton of doubt, a ton of should we just move on and go back to the draft? Should we trade him at this point? I, I mean, that's just where the Bills were two years ago. And then they had that run, got themselves, you know, first, second round of the playoffs, came back, signed a ton of their own players to extensions, a ton of the guys on rookie contracts, brought in a couple of impact players, obviously Diggs. And that's when things started to really tick. You know, that's a three-year plan to get us to where the Bills are now, which is plus Von Miller, plus O.J. Howard, which is a nice small signing. Uh, you know, there are a couple of offensive linemen now away, in my opinion, from maybe being the week one odds-on Super Bowl favorite, according to FanDuel or DraftKings. That's where the Bills are right now, three years removed from that conversation. So to me, it's not that there's complete disarray in Arizona. In fact, I would be putting my chips in with them a little bit here and because they believe that you should be. So that's what I'm seeing from them, this free agency. And I don't think they're done. I bet you there's, they've removed some of the fat off the defensive line, financially speaking, at this point. There's an impact player coming there. Right? And maybe it's not this year. Maybe that's part of the two-year plan. But I like the vote of confidence in the GM, in the coach, love him or hate him, and what's soon to come to the quarterback. And that's the comp for me. It's three years ago, the Buffalo Bills, and look where they are now. That's the plan I, I would put in place if I'm the Arizona Cardinals. All right, and as promised, I'll flip the switch to Major League Baseball because things are happening, roles are colliding. Baseball's free agency is, is back in the fold simultaneously with the NFL. Not good business from a Major League Baseball standpoint, but what are you going to do when you have a lockout for a month and a half? Here we go. Chris Bryant got seven years, $180 million from the Colorado Rockies. Now, there are so many things wrong with the sentence that I just said, if you've heard me talk about baseball contracts in the past. But I think the one I want to focus on, because I'm happy the guy finally got paid after the service time bullshit, after, you know, an exile out of Chicago that was deserved. I mean, he was, he went from an MVP to a nobody. And they had to blow it all up in Chicago. So he ended up going to a great team in San Francisco and playing well, I think, for a half a season. And he did resuscitate his numbers a little bit last year versus 20 or versus 19. So I, I like the player, and I'm happy he got paid. I'm happy it's seven years, right, for a 30-year-old and not 10. Sounds like we've got some levity a little bit here, but I, I can't believe the Colorado Rockies are doing this because the Colorado Rockies gave away one of my favorite players maybe ever in Major League Baseball and Nolan Arenado. And they not only gave him away, but they paid to send him away. 50-some million dollars to the St. Louis Cardinals to say, take our guy. We, we don't want this contract anymore. So that contract was too much. So much too much that $50 million to get it off your books was worth your while. But now Chris Bryant, who has inconsistently found his way to the free agent market finally, is now worth $182 million? 
a third base slash outfielder. <laughs> with with his inconsistency, has just been signed to replace the one of the preeminent third basemen in all of baseball in Arenado. I'm so confused. I don't have words for it. And I don't have a breakdown of the contract. It doesn't matter. It's 26 million a year. Okay. And if you say, well, you know, Arenado's old. No. Arenado is 200 days older than him. 200 days older than him right now. Okay. And there's six, you know, five, six years left on Arenado's contract. You've now locked in seven for Chris Bryant with a full no trade clause. I don't get it. I don't think there's a person that follows baseball in the world that would pick Chris Bryant over Nolan Arenado in any capacity. In any capacity. Now look, Arenado was $32.5 million a year. And that's, you know, that has come down because you've paid off some of that to St. Louis. So they're getting a deal, essentially. In fact, they're getting him for about 27 million a year, <laughs> all things included. So Chris Bryant at 26 million, that $6 million swing was so worth it to you. Or, and I'm, I'm going to end with this because I hope this is the answer. They screwed this one up big time. They let DJ LeMahieu walk, you know, and the wheels started to fall off. A couple of pitchers left town. All the pitchers leave town. It's Colorado. And then it was about getting Blackman out the door. And it was about Arenado was the cream of the crop. He was the face of the franchise. And no, he was not winning the World Series for them. But he was getting them to the postseason, okay? sometimes single-handedly because of his numbers, because of his five-tool numbers. Bryant has that potential. But again, it's been so inconsistent. Uh, also, who was he bidding against? Who are Colorado bidding against here for this guy? at that price. Now, maybe five teams are in, the Giants being one of them, of course, but ah, this one is going to stick with us. This is one I'm, I'm going to monitor every month of 2022 and probably longer because it's going to be here until what? 2027, <laughs> eight. And I do hope the player comes back for them because this is a franchise that's, when they're fun, they're fun to watch. That's a stadium we all love to watch baseball games. In. So, Good for Chris Bryant. Good for the Rockies if this works out. But to me, this is correcting a mistake that happened less than 12 months ago. That's what this is. And that mistake is Nolan Arenado. And it's very much to the Cardinals' benefit that that situation went down. But, and obviously, it benefits Chris Bryant because he's $182 million richer, fully guaranteed. The Toronto Blue Jays play ball about two and a half hours away from where I'm sitting right now. And I am already planning internally to make that drive at least four times this summer because this team is going to be fun, balanced, actual baseball players, small ball. And then obviously, you know, the monstrosity that is Vlad Guerrero Jr. So they've added pitchers from every facet, internationally speaking, all over the place. They've got gotten pitchers because they obviously that's been their weak point. Kevin Gosman's the San Francisco signing. I like so much about what they've done. And then today's trade for Matt Chapman, a deal I thought the Mets would be pulling off for a similar situation, a really good team that just needed that one more impact player and a 
solid defensive third baseman. Well, that's what this is. Now Chapman comes in and he's a bit of a grandfather to these kids, you know, possibly filling the role that, that Marcus Stroman played last year to somebody, excuse me, not Marcus Stroman, but um, Marcus Semyon, of course, who is now much, much richer in Texas. This is a, a strong, strong team, a fun, young, balanced, like I said, baseball first team, and they can pitch. And if they can pitch all year, this is the favorite in the AL East. And when's the last time we said that about the Toronto Blue Jays? So they're a team to watch. I'm not sure they're done. There's relief pitchers to be had, maybe, maybe not now, but maybe at the deadline. But the Matt Chapman trade was such the icing on the cake that it's hard not to root for this roster. Super fun, super relevant, super good for the sport. And, uh, you know, the only thing kind of holding back this franchise as a whole right now is maybe those COVID restrictions, which is going to keep non-vaccinated players out of Toronto, out of Canada, but certainly out of Toronto for those games. So that might be a lingering issue. And that could wear on the, on the team if that's constantly coming up, constantly coming up in news conferences, things like that. We've seen that, with, with, especially with the NBA here, that there's issues when the grind of, of, of the press kind of gets you with that kind of stuff. So hopefully that gets resolved and hopefully the, uh, the COVID stuff stays away to the point of where there's, it's a non-decision. You just have to do it. We just got to let everybody go. But only thing hanging over the balance right now with that team. Everything else looks really great on paper and more importantly, really fun on paper. Last thing, Washington Nationals. Again, I'm not going contract by contract here, obviously, because that would be a 14-hour show, and I'm exhausted from data input, to be perfectly honest. Um, I went into this offseason, and you know, not too long ago here, we had a bit of a show here discussing the Juan Soto situation, which was the Nationals offered Scott Boris, his agent, what was it, 13 for 350? Incredibly low for the player that he is at the age he is especially with the roster that was around him at the time. And that roster was depleted. They had brought in some nice talent from the Max Scherzer trade, Turner trade. They had some decent young players coming up the system. Patrick Corbin was alongside Steven Strasburg, you know, if he ever gets healthy again. But it was bare, especially from a batting lineup stand-up that cupboards were bare. Well, they have, they have swung here. They have not stayed back. In fact, if you want to talk narratives again, similar to what I just did with the Arizona Cardinals and how some of the offseason stuff may have impacted directly their path in the off, you know, in terms of the financial signings. To me, the backlash that they got from that offer, not just from Boris and possibly from a lot of people close to the roster, maybe even in the front office, but from the general public, from the baseball world. The backlash they got from that Juan Soto offer, to me, basically made what we all know an internal reality, which is you're so far away from keeping Juan Soto long-term that it might not even be worth continuing to build this roster right now. And they responded with the exact opposite approach, which is, I think there are a lot of franchises that would look around and say, all right, we got this guy for a couple more years. Let's ride this out. Let's not overspend because we know he's going to bail anyway, like Harper did eventually. And we'll cut our losses and go from there. We'll get a huge trade piece, you know, trade back for him and replenish our pool and hope that we have the right pieces 
from a youth standpoint to continue to win ball games. That's not what they're doing here. That's not what they're doing. Juan Soto's arbitration eligible this year and then two more seasons through 2024. They got three years of this guy. And they know it. And they are not sitting back. Now, they're not going all in, you know, but that remains to be seen. And that's kind of the point of my, my uh, conversation here. Nelson Cruz is a nice bat to put next to Juan Soto. That's invigorating. They've got some nice minor league contracts, some familiar ones. They're going to be able to pitch the ball a little bit. Strasburg is hurt, as I kind of foreshadowed there. But there's a world where their next signing is Carlos Correa. Now, I know Houston's trying. I know some of these other franchises that have offers out there are waiting to hear if he picks Houston. But I believe one of those franchises is the Washington Nationals. And it may not be Correa, but it may be Trevor Story. But if it's either of those guys and it's a reasonable, maybe short-term deal. What if it's aligned with Juan Soto's arbitration? What if it's two to three years? High impact, high AAV, because there's nobody else to pay on this roster anyway. Now we've got something. Now we've got a situation where you can get at least two players that draw attention, media, and obviously good baseball. And I think that's all you need here, at least this year. If you can at least jumpstart this process a little bit for Juan Soto, and I realize I'm catering to one player. He is, he is that kind of player. He is the kind of player, especially at 23 and a half years old, doing what he's doing and where he could still be going. You basically go up to him and say, hey, you want to play with this guy this year? Let's do it. And let's pay way more than Houston can do on an average salary basis on a short-term deal. And let's get Boris to do it. And let's talk to Boris and say, we're doing this for this guy, your other guy. Okay. I like this premise quite a bit. I like, I like it because it's short term. I like it because it's high financially impacted. I like it because there's a purpose to it. It's not just we're trying to win ball games or we're trying to maximize our OPS. It is simply, we have a guy that everybody would want, but we have him for three more years. And instead of just sitting back, and hoping we can win enough ball games to keep him around, we're gonna put, we're gonna make a big three. We're gonna do an NBA style acquisition here, and, and maybe we can't get both those guys this year. But if I can get Carlos Correa right now, and I just have to win that bidding war, that's step one in this process, and it's a really good move. Might not work, but it's a really good move. So I'd 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 love for baseball teams to start thinking more like this. All right, we got a guy. We don't need eleven more, right? Some of these teams try to build dream rosters in free agency. And then when it doesn't work, they start shedding payroll like it's, you know, on fire. I'm not sure that baseball can't be a little bit more like these other sports where it just takes three or four superstars. And that's easier said than done. I'm not downplaying that at any regard. But Washington has shown that they'll pay. Now they defer, so that's a problem. But I think they have an opportunity right now, especially kind of late in the game here. You know, we're three weeks from opening day to really strike and give at least 2022 a situation that can reamplify Juan Soto with the Washington Nationals and at least give them hope that their next offer won't look so crazy. Okay, we'll be back soon. Again, I'll be doing contract by contract breakdowns for a lot of the bigger NFL signings, extensions and free agent contracts, and possibly even some of the trades. You know, if there's some blockbuster trades, I can probably do this with the Russell Wilson contract now that I think about it, the trade, I mean where I'm talking about the financials going left, going right, 
what happens to some of these guys in terms of extensions, um, you know, how, how long these guys are going to stick on this roster in terms of what their current contract says. So big contract breakdowns, maybe some trade breakdowns. That's over on YouTube. Follow the Spot Track podcast there. If you listen to us on Apple, this podcast, please uh, give us a rating and a review. Always good to hear and some feedback and understand what we're doing right and wrong and all that good stuff. And of course, this crazy time of year with the NFL and Major League Baseball at Spot Track on Twitter. Happy to answer any questions you might have with any of this garbage as we go along the process. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Schnetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.